Hello, welcome to Job Fair Podcast. You're here with Cody again, and this time I'm interviewing uh, one of my favorite teachers in high school. Uh, I know him as Major Mac because I went to a military school, but you can just call him Mac. That's about right. That's what I go by. Uh, so my name is uh, Clay McElhenney. I've been teaching in public schools now for around 12 years. Uh, I've taught anything from AP chemistry, chemistry, AP physics, physics, biology, and now exclusively I teach uh, engineering pathways at North Oconee High School. And uh, I love anything education. This is pretty much what I do full time. Currently, I'm really into uh, reform in education and how do we move this digital format further for our students. And I feel like we have a real chance now to change the format of traditional uh, education, you know, currently. And, and that's kind of what I do. I write curriculum on the side uh, and I do as much as I can every single day. That sounds good. I like that you're talking about reforming education. I think we'll hit on that later because really and truly education has been stagnant in its format for a while. So that'll be interesting. So first I wanted to ask you if you feel comfortable sharing roughly what your salary is for people interested in being a teacher. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it's public information. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's opengeorgia.gov. You can look this up, definitely. So I'm in my 12th year. I have an EDS uh, specialist degree. I also have another uh, degree that's a master's degree, but it's more for uh, content and, and stuff I'm currently teaching. But so my salary is around $70,000 a year currently. I'm not coaching anything. Um, but in the state of Georgia and CTA, you get a nice little bump. Uh, and then in the county I currently teach in, we have a nice little supplement for teaching in the county, which is really nice. So, and then on the side, I also teach or run camps at UGA for more, more money. Uh, any teacher you meet is by trade a side hustler. So just to clarify, you said you get a little bump from CTAE. Can you clarify? Yeah, so CTAE is our um, career, like vocational track is what it is. So it's ag, it's um, STEM. For me, it's engineering. It's um, FCCLA, which is, um, or ECE. That's our like early childhood departments. It's HOSA, which does healthcare. It's um, graphic design, business, all these other disciplines that are not just truly academic disciplines that really, you know, give a holistic view of what you can do in your life is a CTAE in the state of Georgia and other states, I believe is CTE and Georgia CTAE. Okay. And the way I kind of think about that is, and maybe if you're a little older, you think about this the same way, but that kind of makes me think of shop class, like maybe you're working on cars or whatever. Yeah. And this is kind of like a new version of it. Yeah, and I, I, I strictly missed that. Like we didn't have engineering at my high school. I went to Peach County High School in Fort Valley and we had, uh, I took four years of construction and we had uh, auto tech, but construction was awesome. We built a, like a bathroom from scratch. Uh, it, and, you know, I, I remember I, I only took it one year, my junior year because I didn't get like home ec or something like that where you could cook. I forget what they call it. I believe it was like culinary class. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, coming from the academic side, where it's just all physics and chemistry and you're perceived like so much smarter than you really are. Right. Is this because you have those kids that are driven that are going to learn it anyway? Mm-hmm. It's definitely been a breath of fresh air, but it's like you have to work from the bottom to get back to like a prestigious level within the school because your CTAE, I think it's ridiculous. 
I think I think this program is really good because not to get too philosophical too early, but I think uh, having stuff that's not strictly academic would kind of let all the students kind of find a place because I think you had a lot of students. I mean, even in my class, you had some students who just like weren't really interested in the physics, but I think they would have been a lot more interested in something like you know learning how to actually put together a bathroom and not get water leaks or you know, the new classes you're doing now. Right. And, you know, I know we're not I trying think you to just reach all the students better. And you're not trying to get to the like a reform part yet. But that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Like instead of like attacking these disciplines straight from like physics. Right. I think engineering, like how I incorporate it, you you have to know kinematics. You have to understand force and tension to make uh, like mechanisms work, to understand how things work, to fabricate. And I think there's a place there to really rewrite how we're teaching things instead of just saying, yes, you're taking a science class. Which one can you pick? Oh, I'm going to take physics and how it goes. I mean, you're not going to find a job where you're just like writing down a formula and going like the application base is so important. You know, who would you rather hire? Someone who just read the book on how to change a tire and was never shown Mm -hmm. or someone who actually you know, was shown how to do it 50 times and had to actually do it themselves, right? I mean, it, it's a real easy fundamental answer. Yeah. Remind me later in this podcast, just remind me to talk about one of the essays I wrote in my master's. Okay. And uh, that kind of builds on that. So, okay, so we went over the salary a little bit. Uh, a little bit more about your bio. What's your degree in? Because I, I thought I saw online it was in biology, right? Yeah, so interesting. Uh, I went to the College of Charleston and I had a degree in biology, right? That like started me off. And long story short, uh, I thought I was going to be a pharmacist. I was going to apply to pharmacy school, I took PCAT and all that. And, you know, as life had it, I uh, ended up being like a certified uh, pharmacy tech at a hospital, stock omni cells and narcotics. Everybody kept telling me to be a teacher. I went to school to, um, you know, get your master's or MAT, Master of Arts in Teaching uh, in, I believe my content was biology at the time and uh, was certified in biology and chemistry and started teaching from there. From there, the school I worked for needed physics. I got certified in physics. I already had the classes in physics and even took like organic chemistry and all that. So I was kind of ready. Um, and then from there, it's kind of snowballed. I went and originally was going to get a PhD. I dropped down and finished with the EDS, but I have so much coursework. Um, needless to say, it's laughable. I think, uh, my wife laughs because I've been in school since she's known me and she met me when I was 20. Uh, and I'm still in school currently. I am uh, wrapping up at Kennesaw state, a, uh, master, uh, it's a MS, wait, an MSEM. It's just a, it's a master's in engineering management with a focus in uh, supply chain, which is okay. which is pretty neat. Uh, like I enjoy that. It has quality in it too, but I really like the supply chain method because I think with the trade, you know, problems that we're having currently, I think that's going to be incredibly important and to understand how we can uh, adapt and transform the parts we currently have once supply chains dry up, I think is going to be important. So I don't know if you knew this, but I went to, I guess technically I went to Kennesaw. I started out at Poly- Polytechnic. Yeah, yeah. So and then they, they merged them. <laughs> I will tell you this. I've been, uh, I have a degree from College of Charleston, UGA, George College State University, and now Kennesaw. Uh, I really enjoyed their, uh, the professors they have, like 
two of mine, one was a VP at Delta for like 20 years, right? Is this at Kennesaw? Yes. And, okay. and then one of them actually worked at Gulfstream on the G5s uh, for oh. like 10 plus years. So they're extremely knowledgeable in what they're talking about instead of like looking up and seeing, oh, they wrote a PhD, you know, and went straight through school. And now this is kind of like what they're teaching. Does that make sense? Um, no, yeah, yeah. So when I was going there, they focused a lot on trying to grab people that had some experience actually working in the field, which I kind of liked. Yeah, and everybody in the class, I am the only one that's non-traditional, meaning everybody else has a job currently like in supply chain. And then it gets to mm -hmm. me and they're just like, what are you doing in class this week? You know, and it's, it's great. Uh, and I've incorporated a lot of what I've learned, right? Like we do case, case studies on, you know, Amazon supply chain, Walmart, why it's so great. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously we talk about, uh, you know, Toyota, because that's like the the foundation. Of Everyone refers to Toyota. I, oh, I know. I mean, it's just like, you know, when in doubt, Toyota, you know. <laughs> so uh, going back a little bit, uh, can you go and describe the EDS degree real quick? Like what exactly is that? Is that like a, yeah, so that's, a two year add on or something? Or No, so you get your, um, originally I didn't go for that. So I went to um, UGA for a PhD and I wanted the mm -hmm. PhD in science education right and it, it was great because they make you take so many hardcore science hour, hours like physics engineering i took like an optics three um and then you have to also take education content right so it's a good blend of what you get mm -hmm. uh, and i got stuck with uh all but dissertation abd uh status and having a family i was driving back and forth and once you know my timeline was running out it, it, and it wasn't really what I wanted as times change. I dropped down and they just don't, I already had all the hours and everything needed for the EDS, which is just the educational specialist in science education at that point. Okay. So that's like a PhD. Just, it's like a way to signify it doesn't have the dissertation attached to it. Yeah, kind of like you can get a master's with or without a thesis. Correct. That's exactly what it is. Um, okay. it's, it's I don't have the the dissertation wasn't cleared, even though I passed comps and I was a candidate for candidacy and all that stuff. I mean, I was really sad about it a long, you know, a couple of years ago. Now I'm just, it's not what I wanted. It's not for me. I, I hate this idea of having to come from a position of authority and having a piece of paper just to have a valid point on something. And I've kind of mm -hmm. outgrown that mentality of, you know, this idea of authority because you have something that someone doesn't doesn't mean that you aren't as knowledgeable about it. Yeah, I, I could definitely talk on that, how colleges are essentially a monopoly, saying that you have to have a PhD to be qualified to do to research or something. But there's a lot of people in industry who do research every day, yet they don't get signified with the PhD, right? Correct. So, and and But I, I don't want to go into that too much. Okay, sorry, yeah. <laughs> you kind of touched on this earlier. You weren't initially looking at teaching, so what ultimately compelled you to go into teaching? You think? I think uh, at a point where I, I didn't go to pharmacy school or anything like that, I was like initially searching like any 21, 22 year old is, right? I mean, you, you still have it planned out. And I had mm -hmm. luckily uh, a mother-in-law that worked at Georgia College, College of Education and um, other people around me that were just like, you'd be perfect for this. Uh, my mentality, my characteristics, my demeanor, 
um, was almost perfect for it. You know, I really believe to be a good teacher is all about being 50% entertainer, 50% content manager. And that's like the perfect blend, right? Um, mm -hmm. The other thing that really interested me as I got really into it is I have total autonomy of what I do. You know, teaching is the only job that we get to wake up every day and you make that choice where I, I get to really plan a day for about 80 people every single day. And it's something I want to do too. And you have total control about that. And there's something that's like really powerful about that. And you just have to see it every single day. Um, and it's almost like you get to be you every single day also. Like those students see who you really are um, and you're not stuck behind a cubicle. You're not just looking forward to lunch. You're not looking at, you know, you just feel like you're in an ebb and flow of a system that you have a little bit more control over. And I know I might be in the uh, minority on this, but, you know, I, I think that's the right reason to get into it. You know, I, I think a lot of people get into education because they don't know what to do and they just went into it and they think it's going to be something else. And what it is, is it's a grind, but I'm just that type of person. Like I, I enjoy that. Like that's what drives me. And then, uh, so it seems like in Georgia anyway, and each state's going to be different because education is largely controlled by the state. But it seems like in Georgia, there's a lot of different routes to get into teaching. I think you can have a bachelor's degree in almost anything, and then you take like a GMAT or, or yeah, a, a GACE or, test. I forget what it's called. A GACE test, yeah. yeah. And how does that work? Will that qualify you for any grade? Or Yeah, it depends what you take. So state of Georgia will have certain uh, GACE. Like you can get a science 6 through 12, right? Mm -hmm. Or bio. No, it's not science anymore. It's bio, right? And it's only nine through 12. So for like high school, right? Then you can do science or bio for six through eight is how you do this. So you, you're right. As long as you have a bachelor's degree in anything and pass the gaze, technically you can be certified for this, right? Um, but the I think the minimum threshold of what they're looking for, which is crazy, is a master's in teaching to basically start certified and that's that number you keep hearing on teachers in the state of Georgia that starts at like $38,000. You know, these people mm -hmm. have a master's in their starting, right? But Yeah, it's a pretty low salary for someone who went through to get a master's. Correct. Well, teaching is one of the only occupations where we have to keep accumulating degrees to go in debt to make some type of salary increase, right? I mean, we get mm -hmm. step-ups, but the step-ups are always, um, it's almost like year to year, like your contract. I mean, you have to see what the governor is going to do the budget's mm -hmm. going to do, and they're going to reset that depending on, uh, you know, how the economy's doing. Yeah. For the listeners that don't know, my mother's a teacher, so I kind of have some insight into this already, but she went so many years and they didn't really give teachers an increase in pay. And then all of a sudden they gave them a, a pretty decent increase in pay because they were trying to like kind of backfill for all the years that they hadn't. And it, it really does depend on the administration a lot. So your, your pay is kind of governed by who's in office largely. Right. And someone like your mom got pigeonholed because if you don't remember, so my first year teaching, they were doing that thing. If you taught any like science, your first year, they moved you up to like 45 or $46,000. So they were getting certified science people in the classroom. So there were mm -hmm. people who had like a bachelor's degree, but had like 12 years experience doing fantastic job, could have been teacher of the year. And they were still trying to eke up to where they were starting a lot of kids coming out of school. 
And my mother, she got her master's degree too. But yeah, that was a long time ago too. So it sounds like if if you had to boil it down, it sounds like you can just have a bachelor's and take the GACE, but it's going to be a lot harder to get the job than if you actually had the master's in teaching. Uh, but I do want to ask you, is there an exception in STEM-related fields? Like if you have an engineering degree and you take the GACE, because it seems like they're really looking for that, at least right now. Yeah, so case in point, we hire, we were hiring another engineering teacher at our high school. We, ha- we are the number one county in the state for education, Oconee County in the state of Georgia, for two years running. So it's a great place to be. We had, I believe, uh, uh, zero applicants. Um, so it's very hard to fill. We had to fill it with someone who's already on staff uh, for this role and, and kind of train them up. I guarantee if you have an engineering degree and wanted to get into engineering uh, for education, it'd, it'd be a cakewalk. I mean, even the GACE is so minimal because they do not know how to actually uh, test for it, right? I mean, yeah, it's hard to gauge like if someone's a good teacher. You kind of like almost have to meet them face to face. Right, and and everything's like really surface level, right? A lot of it is like procedural instead of like understanding CAD or anything like that. Like, there's not one CAD question on the engineering gaze for the state of Georgia when I took it, and I was just like, I, I was fathom. A lot of it was like dimensional analysis that you you see like your first two days in high school chemistry. And you're just like, what are we doing here? So they should take the FE and the GACE. Correct. Fundamentals of anything. <laughs> see, now you're talking. Yeah. I don't know if I could pass it right now. It's been so long since I've touched the really academic stuff. Well, <laughs> but I, I passed it when I first got out. Yeah. So you know what I do? I, I start um, cutting and pasting some of those questions. And one of my benchmarks for my third level engineering students is I give them like a mock FE, right? And I grade oh, it okay. out. And we have a lot of fun with that. Okay. So, and then you also mentioned you didn't coach. I think that's important to touch on because from what I understand, if you coach and teach, there is a, there's a pretty big incentive for that, at least financially, right? Depends where you're at. So when I was at my first school, which is GMC in uh, Milledgeville, uh, I was a new teacher. So I was expected to coach and I uh, coached, uh, I believe they first put me with middle school baseball, which is like laughable (laughs) at this point. Uh, well, you did play baseball, though, right? I did play baseball, yes. And uh, But, you know, I, I still can't believe to this day, Cody, I'd be like 25 driving the minibus with all these kids everywhere. I mean, just think about it. Because how old are you now? 25. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for like 20 kids on a minibus going to Louisville? I mean, uh, but I want to say... I remember there was a math teacher at GMC, and she was like the only uh, teach coach that was qualified to drive the charter bus, which I thought was like really crazy. Yeah, I refused that. I was not going to do that. <laughs> um, but long story short, my first year there, I my I did all that work for baseball, and I think I got like six hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, even when I stayed there and I was the golf coach, uh, I was only getting a little over a thousand, maybe a thousand. I mean, so I've never really ever gotten enough. It was always more beneficial for me to pick up something in the summertime, uh, like Duke Tip. Uh, I've taught, I've written curriculum and Duke tip, they, for three weeks will pay about $3,000. Okay. You know what I mean? I mean, you're working every day of the week, but it's a, it's a much better deal. And that's during the summer though, right? It is during the, or... it's during the summer. Yeah. All right. I think that's good to touch on because 
instead of maybe taking the coaching position, which maybe isn't as lucrative as I thought, you could do stuff in the summer with camps with the local colleges, and they're probably catering towards, uh, you know, elementary school science camps or, or whatnot, and you could probably get some extra money that way. Yeah, and, and what people don't think about is uh, we ran an engineering camp my first year, and I did it with the other engineering teacher at the other high school in Oconee County, and mm-hmm. you make way more money doing that. And we just do like a little bit. We did it for like elementary age kids and just ran mm-hmm. like a little day camp that was kind of easy. I mean, we easily, uh, I think we took in around $4,000 and split it or something like that. And we only did it for two weeks. Um, so there's ways you can do it. You just need to know what you're good at and, and know how to publicize it and get kids in there. And I also understand, because you did this at GMC when I was there, and I'm pretty sure you're doing it now as well. I think I saw it on your Twitter, but you can apply for a lot of grants, which I think in college that's very common, but in high school, yeah. I feel like it's not very common for teachers to apply for grants. Yeah, so I still do which that. Which obviously that money doesn't go to you, but you know, still. Still is money to spend at Walmart or somewhere, and uh, so you're absolutely right. I want to say now, I think I've almost gotten a grant every single year I've taught in some capacity. Um, at mm-hmm. North, the grants have been much more, uh, I'm getting around like $2,500 a year or stuff like that, but it's little stuff. Um, since I teach engineering, I write Harbor Freight, Milwaukee, DeWalt. I write all those places or, because if you look on my Twitter handle, I'll put at Lowe's or at DeWalt. And, you know, it's amazing because they, they'll send you like a $200 gift card or something. That you can yeah, use. I'm sure a lot of places like that would sponsor student projects. Like if you're doing something like graphic design or or yeah, absolutely. Or you just have to just think outside the box. You have to go the extra mile. Yeah, you know, which, yeah. You got to work it. Yeah, you got to you got to get out of those workbooks and uh, textbooks. Okay, so here's a question for you: When you first went into teaching, what was kind of like the job prospects like? Was it competitive to get into teaching, or were they really needing teachers at that time? And what is it like now? And what were people telling you it was like? Wow. Yeah. So that's good. Um, I think teachers are always needed. I think those top spots that are really nice uh, spots are incredibly hard to come by because schools promote from within. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I looked up. I was in a rural area in Milledgeville, Georgia. Just so happened to be an opening. I think a lot of it is timing. Um, I think, unfortunately, what we do to get into teaching is you – just take a job to have a job. And then you like get your feet wet. You start learning what school or even uh, inside the district, what elementary school to be at. And you start either mm-hmm. want to transfer there or go there is what you try to do. So it, it's definitely like no school is created equal. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it. And I really don't think it's changed. People were telling me at the time, like GMC was great. And it really was. I mean, I loved our principal, Colonel Thornton, like from day one, he was just like, do what you do. You know what I mean? And he allowed me to make errors and Cody's laughing because he saw a lot of the errors. Um, oh yeah. You know what I mean? That's what <laughs> uh, I was laughing. Cause I didn't really like Colonel Thornton that much as a, from the student perspective, yeah, but. from a teacher perspective though, he was, he was supportive. He's like, just do it. You make errors. We're going to make errors. And he did care that you grew and got better and better because he really wanted to keep you for the longest time. And I think that's the way to do it is you, you have an interest in your teaching staff. So you keep them over time. 
instead of saying, mm -hmm. oh man, they're going to leave in a couple of years and I'm just going to keep, you know, this little meal going and keep hiring people. The best schools have hardly any turnaround. We don't have much turnaround whatsoever at our high school. I mean, at hardly at all. It's a quick question. Uh, so GMC is a special case. It's like kind of halfway public, halfway private. It's only one in the state, it's by confusing. the way. It's confusing. It's horrible. Um, yeah, they, they grab money from a lot of different pools, which is um, resourceful, to say the least. But the, yeah, they get some money from public. They get some money because they charge a tuition because it's private. And then they get some money, I'm sure, through the DOD because they're also a military school. Well, I don't know how direct that is, but... Think about this too. You know, they also get money from dual enrollment when they push their kids across the street to the junior college. Mm -hmm. So that's true. I mean, and then they they do get a lot of um, just personal donations from a lot of people. Yeah, like they have endowments. Like think about mm -hmm. a public school for a second, right? Just any you know, Do you really think that they have an endowment? No. No. <laughs> right. You see what I mean? I mean, so that's it's, it's a very unique school. It is is very unique. And I was gonna ask, so the school you're at now, that's a public school, though, right? Public school. We uh, have uh, nine through twelve. We have around fourteen fifty students, four one thousand four hundred fifty students. Um, okay, so that's like moderate size for schools, I guess. Yes. GMC was small. GMC was very small. Yes. So we have around three hundred plus in every class. So I mean, it's really big. GMC would at best have what sixty, something like mm -hmm. that. We're in the one percent state of Georgia for um testing and whatnot which is great i mean yeah and i so i looked at your twitter handle and you can go feel free to give a shout out to your twitter handle to whoever's listening you can go <laughs> check it out i think it's really cool but it's amazing to me that i was thinking about gmc and how many pools they get to dip their hands in but they didn't really have a good engineering program or a stem preparatory program or anything like that they had physics and it was good but when I went to college, I did feel a little bit unprepared compared to the people who went to school in and around Atlanta because they had actual engineering programs and electives to prepare them. So I will say they were lacking in that little bit. And, the, you know, it was a small school. And the other thing that I think goes into it, the small school kind of affects it because in my class, you had 69 people in, in our class. So you really had to have everybody involved in everything to have a reason to have a specialized program, you know, like you have to have almost 50 people or at least 25 people yeah. who want to have an engineering elective or program for it to be viable. Absolutely. So, you know, if you remember that when we were doing like Rube Goldberg and all that, I mean, remember mm -hmm. we were bringing in stuff from my house, my garage, like a lot of it was mom and pop. Right. And we were really mm -hmm. going with the spirit of engineering and how it was really working, which was great. Mm -hmm. Even the hovercrafts and all that stuff. But, you know, this stuff is expensive. I mean, even mm -hmm. what I'm running now, one prod, I worked it up last year. Every student that was running through engineering, um, I was spending about $70 on just the materials to make stuff. You know what I mean? GMC, I would say yeah. that budget was like seven bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's that's a powerful idea to talk about. And then like my school is so big, we're talking about me and my third level really getting some robotics kids in there because, you know, we have like 60 kids now that want to do robotics and mm -hmm. having me facilitate that a little bit. 
But yeah, GMC so small, you would have to have the predominant crowd do that. And if you remember our extracurriculars were, they would go to the teacher and say, well, what, what do you feel like doing? Right. And people would do like card games. Yeah. Do- and then not to mention, because it was a military school, you split your elective time with drill, which is just marching around and stuff, which isn't necessarily bad, yeah. but you got to split it. So then I remember my electives that I would take would be like badminton, tennis, band because uh, i was in band but yeah. i remember when i was doing badminton and tennis like me and austin we would skip all the time and just go to dairy queen yeah but yeah. and nobody cared because it was just badminton or tennis yeah i mean but if it was if it was an elective that the teacher cared about they would actually get on your butt about it and they'd be like dude if you don't want to be here then just go take badminton i mean do you remember the <laughs> crazy one i was doing mine was uh, uh remember the movie one i was doing and it was called like it was like movies <laughs> with mac or something and skylar was in there Remember, he was all about it. And we would like break down movies. And remember, I was all about Christopher Nolan at the time. So everything was like Christopher Nolan, cinematography. And I was like, this, I mean, I just laugh at that now. This is too much. Yeah. So I, I think the numbers do play a role in it. Uh, but I, I think GMC could have been spending their money a little bit more wisely. Because I will say, like, even though we had a small class, I do feel like a large portion of the class were involved in a lot of things there. Most oh, yeah. of them did sports and whatever. We had to to make it work. I mean, mm-hmm. y'all were always extremely busy, and it was really hard to uh, be really good at an extracurricular because it was like you're coming off football, coming off band, coming off, you know, it, it was just really hard. And now I see students who they're like, hey, we can devote all semester in the spring to you. Let us just get through band season. You know what I mean? And that's really refreshing because I'll see them two days a week in the engineering lab. And I feel like I can really pr- prepare them for where they're going. Like I had one student, he's at uh, Harvard. He'll start now. His name is Ryan Yang. And, you know, he was able to really learn a lot by being in the engineering lab. And I mean, I, he can run anything I can run. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go back a little bit. How do you think your college classes, like specifically your, your teaching ones, prepared you for actually teaching do you think they did a good job or no okay so that's really tough um i'm definitely in the pool where you know you can be taught but it's one of those things where you you almost know the person right away is going to be a good teacher or not right i almost think it's like a characteristic personality thing i think that Mm. personality is almost incredible incredibly hard to develop content can always be developed right i don't think my courses that were teaching me educational theory and uh group work and uh perspectives like the feminist perspective not in terms of um uh women but in terms of minorities and when i say that i'm talking about we we had this one where It was, um, you need to value everybody's opinion. Well, I teach science, right? And there's a reason why we have, you know, a progression of data towards the truth of how something works, right? Why waste 30 minutes of class, you know, valuing opinion that doesn't really exist in that capacity? And so I couldn't get past that. That What they did do a good job on, Georgia College did fantastic on, is giving me time in a class. They put me at uh, Baldwin High School uh, under uh, Susan McGill. I'll never forget it. She was teaching like AP Bio. And I was there all day. And they were just like, go. 
And I felt like I was able to mess up and get that out. And I actually learned so much there that really prepared me not sitting in a class talking about educational theory and, uh, and hypotheticals um, of how you would act. Like you have to know how to do this stuff, right? Um, mm -hmm. you ha it has to be simulated. I mean, think about um, going into the military, everything's simulated for you so you can act, right? They don't sit down and, and give you a theory and have you write about it of how you would do it and then talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. So they did a really good job there. Um, and then as you get past there into um, the educational specialist and whatnot, we didn't do a lot of training in that. And I don't felt like they extended me being a better teacher. I felt like it was me just checking off the boxes to get that pay raise because I, I felt like I was like, well, I'm not really changing or learning anything new um, because everything I'm learning or growing from is me seeing it on the internet, looking at Pinterest, looking at Etsy, looking at how this person did it. You know, people who are more like me as a teacher uh, in my discipline instead of, um, you know, the classes I was sitting in. Okay. Yeah, you basically hit my next point too. I was going to mention that I remember almost every year we'd have at least one class that had like a, a Georgia college person sitting in for a few weeks and then they would take a day and teach a class. Yeah. And I was going to ask you if you thought that was equivalent or better than the actual classes you had to take. And it sounds like that's kind of a yes. Yeah. Um, do you remember the one with me when you were in there? Was it a boy or a girl? Uh, there was a lady in there when I took chemistry. Oh God. Yeah. And they run. Let's not go that route. Um, <laughs> I think it's extremely helpful. Like I love being a mentor. Um, I'm brutally honest, you know, and you know, you could work through a lot of things. Right. And I think one of the first things you work through is like, don't be afraid to be wrong and don't be afraid to tell the class you're wrong. Don't be afraid. Like, you know what I mean? And I, and I think that, that makes sense. Cause they'll kind of lose respect for you. If, if they find out you're wrong and you just won't admit it. Yeah. How are they supposed to learn from you? If, if right. You and, wrong? and I think, that's always been somewhat my strong point is, you know, I'm not, I don't know everything and I'm going to make mistakes. My job is to prep. My job is to communicate. And my job is for us to have like a good work. Like we're in the same fight. We're in the same boat. Right. But I think they make mm -hmm. a mistake because they're really scared. And what they learn from is if you think about your classes or professors, at least mine, the hardcore science classes, I don't feel like they put their self, themselves on the line working a lot of problems like we do in high school and modeling. Oh, they always have it written down. They have it written down. They'll do one problem and they'll say, okay, you can go see the TA for more help or something like that because they protect themselves so much from being wrong and losing their prestige in some way. But And you'll see that sometimes when you like ask them a question on it while they're going through equations and they like, kind of, you can tell they kind of can't answer it and they're referring back to their sheet and then like later they'll finally like click in their mind, then they'll go and explain it. You can kind of catch them sometimes when they're doing that. Right. And, and that goes back to the personal experience thing, right? Now that I have more personal experience, not only in the field, but like working at cat and stuff like that, I have, if I can't explain it mathematically, Cody, now I feel like I can explain it through an experience, anecdotal evidence, you know, talk about fabrication in this way um, and, and get, at least some type of answer for them. Uh, mm -hmm. Cause I think experience is this, it's, it's just what you have to have. I think a great plan for us moving forward is, you know, almost, especially in the college level, 
we almost need to mandate 10 years of like experience in the field more than a PhD, right? Like how is the field going to grow further? If the people who are teaching the people going into the field have never experienced the correct. field. Correct. So then what happens? They go into the field, they're mentored, right? And those are the people mm-hmm. they really look back up to. And those are also the people that they're replacing through succession, right? They're not replacing these people who have a PhD. Yeah. So um, I should have asked this earlier when we were talking about how GMC is a little different than the college you have now. But could you, since you've worked at both, could you kind of give a little brief comparison between working in public sector and somewhat private sector? Like, um, I know there's, from my mother's perspective, there's a lot more red tape on the public side administratively and, and certain points you have to hit and everything like that. But I'd like to hear your perspective. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, so I would flip that a little bit. I felt, um, so at GMC, uh, we wore class A every day. Remember that? So we wore army mm. blues. We had to have our hair cut. I couldn't have facial hair. If I did, I only could have like a mustache, right? Um, so we had a lot of restrictions that way and what we wore. But then on top of that, since y'all were such a small class, I don't think y'all realized how many little things we had to be a part of as a small faculty to facilitate it. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? And No, that makes sense. And they kind of forcibly incorporate you into other Correct. Things. And then since we had, so then the problem with the small faculty is now the amount of males you have in that faculty now has dwindled. So when you're talking about coaching, you know, you're, you're forced into these roles and that's a lot of work. And okay. uh, so I felt like we're, I was always in a customer service role. Does that make sense? So our administration wasn't always, uh, like looking at the problem through an educational lens to solve it. It was more like, Hey, they're paying tuition. We need to keep them happy. Right. Whereas now, um, and this has been interesting because now I've seen leadership in three levels. Um, cause my second school I stayed at two years was uh, Lake Oconee Academy. It's a charter, okay. it's a charter school. Uh, and now at, uh, North Oconee, my leadership or admin is, is in- incredibly great. Right. Meaning, uh, the problems are handled such like more through an educational lens, meaning uh, these are the rules. This is what we're going to do. Right. Cause you have so many more students. You can't just appease this one student, change the rules and don't think that you're going to have 30 students tomorrow walk through that door wanting the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's really nice too. Cause I felt like at the smaller school at GMC, we were like somewhat appeasing some students and it felt a little more like this. Right. And now where I'm at, I, I don't feel that way whatsoever. I feel like really supportive. Now I do have a great uh, administration and, and my principal has been at the school for like 12 years. And I think that extremely helps also, but I will tell you, it's like trust. I mean, first year I was there, he walked in my classroom all the time, all the time. Right. And I don't really remember that from GMC. I remember general Boylan coming in there right one time. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then that was pretty much it. Like nobody really knew what, I was doing, whereas now, I mean, I get checked on every week. So would you say that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily? Well, see, I love it. I mean, not to show off, but as a teacher, you always want everyone around you working as hard as you're working. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if I'm getting checked in every week, that that accountability is important. It's all about accountability. Yeah, because I think with any school, you have some teachers that are kind of like, 
you know, they're just there for the job, you know. And I saw that some at GMC. I'm not going to name names or anything, but I did see that some. Yeah. But then from the other perspective, some people might feel like they're like really hanging over your shoulder, but I guess it depends on the administration. I mean, where we're at now, you got to get over that. I mean, if, if that really bothers you, then, you know, what type of job can you have? You know what I mean? Picking blueberries on a farm. So it's just rough. I mean, you have to have accountability. You should want accountability. Okay. All right. So I think that was good. That's interesting because I think a lot of people would think that there's more red tape on the public school side. So that was a good uh, perspective. So could you go through like uh, – a, a quick like day to day what you what you do on an average day when you're doing there and try and like hit on the things that the students don't see because you know a lot of people obviously see your teaching but what's on the back end like I know my mother she would bring home a lot of work that you know a lot of people when they think of teachers and I myself think this I'm like ah, third grade math that must be really easy like what do you have to do but I know my mom would always bring home a lot of work yeah so uh, my method is um, atypical meaning it's 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 not for everyone um, I am not so it's 12th year I never reused hardly anything meaning I would start with hmm. my slides and I might use the same activity right but as far as my planning day to day it always changes even now what I do so how this works for me is today or let's start tonight right now I'm gonna hang up with you I have a running Google slide every day. So I create my agenda, what we're going to do. I review the notes from today. I review how class went, right? Like I can tell you right now, I'm not going to go far uh, tomorrow because what we did today, we ran into some road bumps. And what I need to do is find us a tutorial. I need to clear up some misconceptions. So that builds out my agenda, okay? Then what I do um, is I start building a side. The side means if you're already good with this, you're moving on to this. So I really split up my kids and I worry about my timeline of Friday. Okay. Friday as in tomorrow of every week is the day I want all my stuff done. Right. So, you know, on Monday, what all I want done and you're just trying to stay pace with me to get it done on Friday. Okay. So I'm going to get this agenda done. I'm going to show up in the morning. Um, our school starts at 8.15. I get there at 7.15. Um, I need an hour to not only just sit down, turn on my lights, turn on my computers, turn on all my machines like CNC, laser cutter. Uh, I have to now wipe down all my computers, my keyboards. I have to take out my trash. Uh, and then what I do is I have to turn on my projector. I have to put my, you know, I, I put it on the board. I make sure I have everything I need. I get up my grade book on the computer and then from there I have first block planning so usually what I do for my planning is all the materials I need and the what the kids need cut I get it ready in a queue and I put it on a dry erase board so they never see that but that takes forever and then I try to like clean up little things like they kids can do it but you got to think keeping things clean from 80 kids in a lab engineering lab this you know it's not going to happen okay so I do that and then the kids walk in and I am a bell to bell teacher. Like I never go back and sit down because I'm either helping someone with CAD. Then I have to run to the CNC, making sure we're good there. And I'm in always in the process of checking people off. Right. So I do a really good job of saying, okay, Johnny can help you with CNC. 
because I try to get one or two kids up to my level. So then I have like three of me in a class, right? Um, so I do that all day because I'll then run next three classes straight. We have a 25 minute lunch, which I have duty. So three days a week, I have lunch duty for 25 minutes where I, I just don't even eat. I don't have time. I just go to the cafeteria, wherever I'm at. And then um, three days a week, I have afternoon duty. So at 3.30, I have to like go outside my classroom and do my duty. for. It's only like 15, 20 minutes. So it's cool. Is this for buses or? I don't have buses this year. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I'll be in a commons area and we're making sure our kids are spread. So every teacher um, is in the hallway, making sure we're still doing like one direction on the hallway. So this is, this is like COVID specific. Yeah. So all our duties have been multiplied times four. Okay. Mm -hmm. I went from having like two duties a week to now everybody pretty much has a morning bell and afternoon duty. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like two to three times a week. So it's, it's, it's a lot it's short burst, which is great, but it's a lot to like comprehend. Like I have this little schedule all over the place. Um, so then four o'clock hits. Once four o'clock hits for me, I'm trying to clean up. I'm trying to uh, finish whatever is cutting, turn off the machines, turn off the lights. I'll take the trash again. I'll shut down my computers. Then I have two little girls, daughters that are in the school right next to me. And that's one of the benefits of me being at my school. Yeah. So I pick up my daughters, I come home and, and then we try to eat and we have family time from like um, five to when they go to bed, seven thirty, eight o'clock, nine. And then I start planning as fast as I can. And, and that's pretty much my method. And then some nights it's easy. Some nights it's hard. Some nights it's like, you know, I want to do something new. I get planning it and it sucks up your whole night. Um, but I like it because I don't, what am I going to watch on TV? I mean, I'll watch a documentary here and there, but I mean, mm -hmm. it's just not for me. That's like my routine and what works for me. And that's what I like to do. And, and so I, I don't know. I mean, no, that makes sense. And then on top of that, I didn't talk about grading. So if I get, oh man, 60 CADs in. So you're going to love this just really quickly, Cody, because we were talking about CAD programs. So I make my first level CAD on Onshape since it's cloud-based and they have Chromebooks and it works on a Chromebook, right? Okay. So I'll have like level one share with me 30 Onshapes, right? So I have to like go through and click all this. Then on top of that, I'll have like 45 Fusion Pro files come in, okay? Which is just, it's, it's just insane. Um, Cause I, I imagine that's very dull to like click through each one and just like, oh. Well, yes. And, and unfortunately, these kids are way too witty. Like they know as soon as I say something like, just use the capture function on Fusion 360 and send it to me, then these cats are going to get really creative and not do the parts. Does that make sense? Or, yeah. or my favorites when they steal something from like Thingiverse or import an STL file, you're like, no, you didn't. So, yeah. But, you know, you get efficient with it and... I don't know. I feel like... Are you checking, uh, just out of curiosity, are you checking like the... the dimensions? Like, not just the dimensions, but are you looking at how they made the part at yeah, all? Yeah, so... Because like sometimes you they can make... They obviously can make different parts a lot of different ways. Yeah, so... But there's kind of like a preferred way to do it in engineering for, for drawing and manufacturing purposes. So I was curious if you check on that. Yeah, too. so I teach them uh, like datum measurements and stuff and how mm -hmm. to build that's how we do it um 
And then like little things like when we use the law function to build a cup, I want it the way I'm doing it because I'm trying to teach them one, the correct way and quick ways to make complex things, right? So on own shape on first level, I do check the progression of how it works. On Fusion 360, I don't. I basically go and I check their um, dimensions and make sure it's dimensioned correctly. We do a lot of like Ikea furniture because if you go to their website, it'll give you the specs on there. And yeah. so we do, I, I'll, by the end of my second level class, you've almost, you can CAD for Ikea easily. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, going through step-by-step on everything would take forever. Yeah, and I look at so. I look at the time too, and I'm and I'm always curious with that because I have some kids who can CAD uh, in own shape faster than I can. I mean, they're just it's it's amazing how quickly they pick it up, and why we are not teaching y'all earlier is just insane. Like mm-hmm. University of Georgia, you're not going to see CAD until like your junior year, and it's like, what in the world? I do think it's engineering at Southern Poly. You have the uh, engineering curriculum, and then you have the engine. Uh, engineering technology curriculum so they're ever so slightly different and i'll hit this really quickly it's because georgia tech have a monopoly in the state of georgia for a long time they were the only university allowed to have engineering and it was i think it was very fraudulent personally so then you had schools like southern poly which at one time was like a part of tech there's like a little history there but they couldn't have once they separate an engineering course but they already had all the stuff for it so they made the engineering technology course and really, only up until the 90s did they start allowing other colleges to have engineering courses. So then they had to try and deviate them some. So engineering technology is a little bit more manufacturing and like going and working on machinery and stuff focused. So they take like a CAD 1, a CAD 2, they take a machining course and all that. It's very hands-on. Whereas in my engineering curriculum, you only had to take like um, CAD 1. Yeah. Which barely gets into assemblies. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. My engineering one, our first project right now, we build uh, puzzle cubes. So mm-hmm. um, out of wooden blocks, and we're already doing assemblies with those. Like they have to pop them together, make sure the puzzle fits before we actually make it. Um, because when you get the Fusion 360, you know, you can do those bubble charts and stuff and actually make it look real. Um, you know, really quickly, Auburn at their construction and architecture college does a great job because they're really like putting this all together in terms of like you talk technology to me that's like graphic design of how you can uh make these files in like illustrator your like svg files and whatnot or vector files and then you can actually like graphically design something or like a part or something like that like mechanically um so it's very interesting if you have time check out their site they have really cool classes okay so we're going we're gonna to steer a little bit back towards the teaching. Um, we're talking about what you do day to day, but now I'm kind of curious because uh, there's obviously a concept, uh, maybe a misconception out there. The teachers get three months for summer. They go do whatever they want. But I'm sure you're prepping for next year during the summer. How much, how much time do you think you spend in the summer prepping for next year? I mean, all of it. Uh, usually what happens, we come home from summer. Uh, what every teacher does, we probably figure out where our children are going to go first. That first week comes, we have post-planning. Then what we do is whatever you're working on on the side, like do tip or you're working uh, to teach at UGA summer camps, that takes up your whole time. Like at the UGA summer camps, mm-hmm. we taught it through ELC. You had to have all your curriculum in two weeks prior. So you're working on that. Then you teach the course, right? 
then um, after that, you're working on what you're doing. You might go to your class. You might say, I might want to finally paint my walls, right? All this comes in your head, these subconscious thoughts that you never think about, like painting your room. Or if you go to Ikea, you're like, oh, that's going to look great in my room, not my house. You're always thinking constantly about that classroom and your students that are coming in. You're always thinking constantly about how will I feel better about my room? Is it having different stuff? Is it about changing my curriculum? Um, I, I have a website on the side that I make. So I dump all my stuff into it is what I do. And then I do this horrible thing because it's unorganized where I then spend time going back and clicking through it. And it just elicits like another idea. So it constantly builds. Then I pull from that into a side Google classroom that I then use for the year. So Cody, don't laugh. You know, that's classic me, right? Well, you do spend like a quarter of your life in the classroom probably. So, I mean, yeah, you, know, you should, you should enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like yours, even though school owns it. Right. But okay. So, and I also, I want to go back a little bit. I like how you said you, you actually look back at your notes and compare how the class went every single day. Cause there's definitely teachers out there that use the same set every year and you know, different classes are all different. So if they're going at the same pace with the same slides every year, if they didn't do so well on Tuesday, Wednesday, they're going to be yoop, yeah, past. <laughs> and you can do that with anything like, uh, you know, kinematics teaching physics. Like, you know, for us, I, I know right now we're having trouble um, doing the milling operation in CNC, even though I went through the tutorial today. So we got to slow down and figure out. So obviously the tutorial didn't work. How can I break it back up? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, should I make pictures? Should I, you know, spend five minutes one by one with them? Should I like you have to go through this because if not, basically you're elevating frustration in your classroom day by day. Right. So what you're trying to mm-hmm. do is keep that even keel every single day where really I think about it this way. And this is what I tell my students is every day. My job is to push you three percent more in uh, concept in this class. And you're supposed to keep pace with me. If you take five days off and do nothing, you're going to be 15% behind. It's going to get tough, right? Stay up oh. with me. And I, and I think that's a good thing to go by. If you outrace your students so much every single day, of course, they're going to be behind. You have to find yeah. a happy medium in which to work with them. Now, in your school that you're teaching at now, it's a public school. So do you have to deal with standardized testing? I don't know how that yeah, works so, in high school. Yeah, so we do have standardized testing. Uh, for me in engineering, at St. Georgia, we have an EOPA. That's the end of pathway assessment. So when the students have three courses, they have to take a uh, engineering end of pathway assessment. They have to okay. score a certain percentage or on that test to pass. Um, so luckily I'm at 100% password rate currently Um, Because like I said, the state of Georgia right now, the engineering standards are like a mile long, but they're an inch deep. So really, it's um, our... It's very surface. It's it's so surface, right? I mean, it is... We're so past that. I think I'm... I I get really through all their standards in the first level. So second and third, we're just like so far past it. I have to go back and remediate my students and be like, do you remember the decision matrix? Do you remember what is a design brief, right? 
And that's so sad that we're, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like, like to me, they're giving us a middle school test and we're in, high, it, 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 you know, and, and I understand. It's a little bit demeaning almost. <laughs> well, it's really because every high school has different resources and it's incre- incredibly hard to make this fair. So they're vastly different, even though state of Georgia CTAE will give schools like, let's say, a hundred thousand dollar grant. Right. But that's all predicated on what what is the person going to order? So if they've never taught the course, they have no clue how to spend this money. Does that make sense? And luckily, I didn't I, I was I had many more years experience before I was able to actually spend this money. So I kind of knew what to buy and what I was going to do with it, meaning a lot of the things that I work into the curriculum, like right now, uh, is I basically look to um, Georgia Tech, Georgia, Auburn, a lot of these like kind of larger colleges that are engineering colleges and see what they're doing, right? Um, And I love the Auburn's College of uh, Architecture and Design. So a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff, what they're doing is like CNC, laser cutting stuff like that and that's kind of what i like because if you look at a lot of the manufacturing jobs especially around here in athens that um understanding g-code and how to fabricate a part's incredibly important right so i kind of started with this cad idea and we could cad almost anything i was like well let's take it up a level and let's start actually going through what all fusion 360 can do like with simulation stress and then we got into um, how do you export your G-code into other disciplines like the CNC, the laser cutter, and how do you actually fabricate something? So, you know, I work in all of those disciplines into the point where you have me for the third level, it turns into almost like Pinterest 101, right? <laughs> um, like right now with the clocks, and I just posted on my Twitter uh, uh one of the G codes writ, I took a picture. He did a really cool star Wars, like, you know, um, clock, but, um, what we're also doing is we do stuff for the community. So not only do the students have to do a clock for them, but they have to make a clock for a small business. So they go and get their logo. They put it on the clock. We make it look good enough. And we try to target really small businesses that would actually like hanger clock. So what we do is send an email, and say, listen, you're chosen. We'd love to make you a clock. We hang it in your, you know, business stuff like that, um, just so the students understand, like what we're making actually has real consequence and people value it instead of doing what we do in middle school, where you, you make something, your parents say it's great, and then it's in the trash can two days later, right? Yeah, I was gonna say the things I, I really like that your program in particular hits on is that even if they didn't go the engineering track in college or something they're learning things that could get them valuable jobs. Like if they know how to run a milling machine, they could get a good paying job right out of high school with no college education, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we work in a stick and MIG welding too. I'm not allowed to have like, obviously the, like a CO2 oxygen, uh, like MIG that will be super nice, but we kind of work in a lot of functionality. Like how do you apply all these disciplines uh, in engineering. And we also talk about like the business route of it, like business plans, you know, how do you do a cost analysis? If someone gave you like 250 grand to build a home, what does that look like? What is the breakdown? Um, so I like it. it. It really puts in a lot of disciplines instead of just focusing on like when I was just doing chemistry and it was like, okay, we're going to do stoichiometry, which doesn't relate to anybody in 10th grade right now. 
And then we're going to go to empirical molecular formula, right? And it was really hard some days to um, relate that to the real world other than say, hey, you got to have this to go to college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to find a physical representation of it that has like a value to them at that age. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, even at 18, I mean, think about it. It would still be hard. You know, it doesn't have value until you get to college and you're like, hey, you know, this is my third chemistry class in college. Oh, I see it again. You know, and I think that's what they need to work on. You know, at what point are y'all really going to see some of this content that we're delivering in a college? Because they get to really teach you whatever they want to teach you. And it doesn't have to tie to any of our standards, which just seems crazy because it's like you're aligned your whole high school and uh, education career K through 12. Then you get to college and it's just like, you know, whatever goes, whatever. Yeah. And the, and the way I see it, and I can kind of understand it, is they just want a core education that covers this, this, and this for everybody. And then once they go off to college, they get discipline specific or whatever. But yeah, it's, I think one of the reasons you have dropout, uh, dropout rates as high as they are in some areas is that, students really have a hard time finding the value in a lot of this information, especially if they're not really considering college. And it's like, well, what am I learning this for? So you really yeah. kind of do have to find a way to make it uh, valuable to them. And in addition, in addition to what I said, if they do end up going the engineering track, I think what you're teaching is very complementary to it because in college, they really teach you strictly academics for the most part, unless you're like an engineering technology program, like I said before. Um, like myself, you know, I did all the engineering academic classes. I've never welded anything in my life. So there is that level of experience to be like, oh, I've welded something. I know what is difficult to weld and what is not difficult to weld because I've, I've had some firsthand knowledge. So when they're designing parts down the road, it kind of gives them a little bit of insight that I think is useful to know when you're designing parts of what's difficult and what's not difficult or what's feasible. Yeah. Uh, feasibility, <laughs> practicality is, you know, engineering 101, right? Right mm -hmm. back. Practicality, safety, cost, all that stuff is kind of what you want people to understand and know. And you got to know it on the fly. Yeah. So, And having your hands on it is, I think, one of yeah. the greatest ways to understand it. Because you can read about it and say, okay, this welds hard. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So now that we kind of hit on that, I, I do always ask some, I do always ask my interviewees to kind of delve into some, what are the bad parts about your career? Like what drives you or other people away from the career you think the most? Uh, Let's see. I, I think that some some people just don't have the work ethic i i really do think we're in this like generation now that you know uh it's really hard for them to and even mine to really piece together how much you have to work to be good at being a teacher right and you know they look at it on the opposite end like they feel like they're not in control and they have all these students all day and i always look at the other end like you're you're they're you know you're setting the atmosphere. You're always in control of what you're doing. So I'm always like on the opposite spectrum. The other thing I think that's happening, Cody, is that, you know, this has been a problem for decades, but the prestige of being a teacher, um, you know, has never risen or anything like that. Um, so it's really, I think it's really hard to get some really good people um, 
into teaching because what happens also is they get snapped up into other programs. They get snapped up into maybe like an MBA program, something like that. So it's kind of like we don't ever have a chance to get them into the classroom and take hold of them. They get other opportunities. Uh, and I think that's really hard. Uh, I also think that people go away because they find other jobs that can pay them just as much. And if they can have that job and go home and not have any extra work or anything else, and then kind of see like a career progression, then why wouldn't they do that? You know, the biggest knock on teaching and how I used to think it was going when I was at GMC, my goal was to go be like the best teacher and it would take me like 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And after 10 years, then I would be able to get into administration somewhere because uh, I'd be a great teacher. They obviously want me, right? And then after that, you know, I would be great. And then I would go into um, being a professor or something like that. And it, it doesn't work that way. Uh, my problem is once they see you and you're very effective in the classroom, you're going to stay there because you're, you're more trouble to uh, replace and you're worth more there than you are actually in administration. But they don't understand that, you know, you can have so much more effective change in administration and your career progression would actually like move. Right. And I think that's what we all struggle with. I think that after like three to five years and they see no movement, no accolades, no anything, it's hard to have self-worth in what you do. And I, and I think that's the hardest thing for them because you're coming off a generation that would like, you know, you're always getting a, applause or you're always getting something and with you know teaching you're, you're not getting that right and mm. and i think that's really hard i agree i think i think it's obviously not a provocative field in that they're not trying to entice you with money that much that's pretty obvious yeah um, so really the only thing that entices people i think to teaching is a you have people who love teaching and want to do it uh, just for that uh, for that aspect that they're passing on whatever they want to pass on to the next generation. They feel like they're making an impact. And then I, I do think you get a lot of people who go into teaching who think it'll be easy. Easy to get whatever requirements there is and easy to do it. I think you do get that. Yeah. Um, and that, that kind of goes into what you said. That kind of brings down the prestige that teachers feel. And if you're not getting money and you don't feel like you're respected as a teacher then, yeah, you're losing a lot what drives you to become a teacher. But also, I will say, if you show you're a good teacher, they want to keep you as a teacher. And in a way, that kind of makes sense, because I see it in industry a lot. You'll see people who are really good at their job, either analysis or design, and then they move them to like a uh, kind of like a, a team leader where they're kind of doing a lot more of the coordinating and administrating, but then now you just lost one of your best designers or your uh, analysis guys, and that happens a lot. And it's like, well, why don't we just give them the pay raises and let them keep doing what they're good at, what they enjoy, you know? So yeah. there's an aspect of that that I can kind of understand. And I, and I wish they would at least do that. I think that would be kind of where we need to be now mm -hmm. is, you know, these are really highly effective teachers. You know, we want to keep you there. You know, what what can we do, right? And I think mm -hmm. that drives people away, and then you have to do stuff like, take an assistant principal job like two counties away and you like even leave the county. And, yeah. and I think that's, I think that's really tough, but going back to, you know, the people bringing down the prestige, I'll, you know, 
when people are a doctor, you don't know how good the doctor is, but they look like a doctor. They have the white coat. They look pieced together. And, Walks and, like a doctor, talks like a doctor. I guess right. he's a doctor. <laughs> In education, I think sometimes you have people who, you know, they don't understand you're selling essentially yourself, right? How well do you talk? What do you look like? Do you take care of yourself? Do you know your con? I mean, it's the total package. And when you have people that, you know, and you're not just judging their physical features, but if they're not taking care of themselves or can't speak eloquently enough, then, then they have no validity whatsoever. And that extremely hurts us. I'll never forget, you know, taking my gaze test and, you know, I, I, kind of dressed up to take my test you, you you show up and it looked like half the people have been to the club and you're just like what is happening and maybe they could do something like maybe they should start offering like a split role where you can still teach less classes than you were teaching before but have a bigger hand in the administration like instead of just having the principal and vice principal you could have the principal and vice principal and a little board of select teachers and they have less workload in terms of classes but they get more administrative load yeah, maybe you could find a balance like that somewhere in the future. Yeah, it definitely could use some like restructuring, because mm-hmm. um, I think it'd be great to have your like best teachers like cultivate lessons, sit in on other classes and stuff, and have growth um, within your faculty, which would be nice, right? Because you really don't have that. I mean, once you even get to administration, you're doing a lot of um, uh, not just kind of like keeping status quo together, right? You're not really like innovating or anything like that. You're just kind of like putting out whatever fire arises the next day. Yeah, and then that's probably a big aspect with high schools. You, you know, you have all kinds of weird stuff happening every day. Kids getting in fights, whatever. Yeah. I mean, and you end up doing a lot more of that than you probably intend to. So. Correct. Okay, so that was, that was a good aspect that you talked about, and I, I think a lot of teachers would probably agree that it doesn't look like there's much – movement upwards in terms of your career or even pay necessarily and unless you just jump completely to the administrative route which a lot of teachers probably don't want to do that because they joined for teaching so that makes sense all right so what do you foresee are the the most challenging aspects of this industry this career coming in the future i think we probably kind of hit on it earlier because we were talking about how um, the education structure, at least in high school, has been stagnant for a while. Like your parents and your parents' parents probably had almost an identical school structure, maybe a little less paddling. Yeah. Um, well, you know, teacher shortage has been apparent for a long time now, and you still have counties who do not fill roles with certified teachers to, you know, for the last like 10 years. Like they probably haven't had a certified Spanish teacher or science teacher or they might not offer an AP science because they've never had an AP certified teacher. Um, I think that's only going to grow and grow. Um, So I think that's really big. I think there needs to be a real push to have uh, professionals in the field come in and teach, even if they're able to have like a uh, sabbatical from their job. Maybe they come in for a year, pay them the same salary, just so you can see, you know, professionals in the field that can maybe either be with the teacher or do something so kids can see like this is this is real right this is what I could be doing to have more connections I think that's extremely important you mentioned that you could do industry sabbaticals and you thought that'd be a good idea yeah I was thinking that could also be a good idea if they if they match their salary or whatever for just one semester 
they may find out that they want to do teaching and they, they may be willing to take a little bit of a price cut for it too. That could be a good way to get more people into the teaching industry too. Well, yeah, we, we have a lot of uh, parents who are in the industry at, that for the children I teach at North and they're like, man, well, I want to come in here and play because they see what all we have. And I, I think it is a big selling point. I think if you could open their eyes that they could come in there and, and this is what it entails, then you would get people interested, but they, they just don't see it that way. I, I think the optics of education is, is not always at a premium and we don't always highlight the greatness and the good things that are happening. We're highlighting, oh, there's crowded holes and people aren't wearing their mask and, you know, there's violence and stuff like that. And, you know, I think there's great things, you know, happening every single day. You just have to highlight it. And how many times do you honestly step back to take a picture of that moment. You don't. I think for teachers, one of the biggest things we're also going to face is um, class sizes aren't getting any better. Schools are getting uh, a year older every single year. These schools are not set up for, you know, our current generation. So we need a massive restructuring in terms of like keeping the building, but changing some logistics around to make this work a little bit better. I mean, if coronavirus hadn't shown us anything, is shown us, hey, our schools are not set up to deal with anything uh, in terms of, you know, pandemics or uh, population control or anything like that. The other thing that I wish they would do is uh, like TRS teacher retirement. I think that as we, we keep going, that's going to be what they want to keep pulling the strings on. And, you know, I don't think, you know, one reason people keep teaching is for teacher retirement and is that get wanes and gets weaker and weaker. You're going to have no ball to play with. You're going to be like, you know, how are we going to get good quality teachers? I mean, you know, ultimately, why do you want the bottom 20% of college graduates now teaching the new generation of lawyers and doctors and artists and theater majors and stuff like that? I mean, that is, intrinsically sounds you know ridiculous mm -hmm. i agree with all those things uh i did want to interject because one of the points i wanted to talk to was about retirement benefits uh, i'll let you go into that in a minute but are is there like any tenure for um i guess k through 12 education yeah so I, I don't know if it's unspoken or spoken or whatnot but i believe once you're on like your fifth year then you have like tenure uh but you still kind of live contract to contract, if that makes sense. So every year you get this contract, you sign the contract, um, you know, and it just gets more. Uh, Almost an more of an unspoken tenure. Right. And it just gets more vague and vague. It's kind of like, you know, you can be let go or fired for, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's so broad. Right. And it can be for like hardly anything or nothing. And the protections seem to get um, smaller and smaller. That's why page is so important especially here in Georgia, because if you're a member, they give you legal counsel and whatnot. So I don't know. Okay. And as Paige, is that a, a like a teacher's union or? Yeah. Pr yeah, pretty much. So they're lobbyists uh, at the Capitol, basically for teachers and whatnot. And they do a really good job. We get like emails, what the lobby for, you know, this is what's coming down the pipe. This is, you know, the facts on it. Uh, so, and if we have anything for PSC, which is our professional standards, like, let's say I get written up 
I don't think it's justified, then I can contact Paige and they'll, on my behalf, you know, um, come not come to my rescue, but they'll obviously uh, be my counsel to move forward instead of me going blind into this. Okay. And is that, is that something you would suggest to all new teachers? They should join something like Paige? You think that's a good uh, idea? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you have to join Paige at this point. Okay. Abs- absolutely. And can you, so now can you kind of talk to what your retirements are and your benefits are a little bit, like uh, healthcare, retirement? Yeah, so, you know, here in Georgia, we, we are lucky. We have still a really good um, teacher retirement TRS. Uh, so after 10 years, you're vested. And that means that basically once you hit a certain age and you retire, you'll always have health insurance, which is great because um, the premiums will kind of stay flatline the same and it's not going to be um, as bad as private health insurance. So that's really big. Um, if you go, I believe it's 30 years, then you get roughly 60% of your top two highest salary years, right? Mm-hmm. Every year that you work past 30%, I believe it's like you get an extra two and a half or 3% on top of the 60%, right? So obviously when I have my 30 years, let's say I'm around 55, then if I wanted to teach till Medicare. Lord you could teach till your social security kicks in, get a little extra. Right, or Medicare. I could go 10 more years and almost get, you know, that'd be, almost, let's just say low ball 20%. I could be at 80% of what I was getting paid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, which would be really beneficial, but also you got to think about all the lost income that you had in the early years earning not much money, hardly at all. So if you really backlog that money and accrued compound interested, I mean, you're, it's a, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's tough, man. They still have, yeah, they still have a lot of the best retirement benefits. Uh, you, you even have the option, like my mother, when she put in her 30, I think it was 31 or 32 years, then she got a job in the private school. So she was able to kind of double dip while she's still working uh, so, you know, you can do something like that as well. Yeah. And um, they, they allow, like you can do different things. Like I can take a little less and have it guaranteed for life. Even if I die for my mm-hmm. spouse. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can take a, a lump sum out if you mm-hmm. wanted to, like, let's say you just want to take, you know, 30 grand out of it, then you can do that. Yeah. So if, if you're relatively new in teaching, let's say you've been teaching for five or six years, you, and you you don't really like it and you want to switch uh, careers, you might consider just getting to that 10th year, at least get vested, then switching careers. So you have at least some retirement from the state. Yeah. Um, and some schools don't take out social security. So my whole life, I've always been in social security, but the school I'm at now is a public school. They don't take out social security. So what they do is uh, I have on top of a teacher retirement, they have a 401k retirement that they start to. And that, and that's good too, and they match. So, I mean, that that works out. Okay. Now, I do have a question because uh, you worked at GMC, which is kind of like a private school. Did you was the pay higher with private or public? Or I know that's going to depend a lot yeah. on the county and stuff, but yeah. So definitely, public's going to pay more because of the county supplements. County supplements are a wide spectrum. Ours is really high for our county supplement to be an extra like six grand is really high. GMC had zero county supplements. So basically what they go by is just the state of Georgia state salary pay scale and they pay you that, right? 
And then the only increase you can get from there is like if you coach something. Mm-hmm. So okay, that GMC did add to your retirement, right? Because it was considered public. Right. So okay. all that counts as TRS, which okay. is, which is really good. But what's really bad about all this is I have student loans, right? So mm-hmm. when I wanted to pay back my student loans, they do not count. Uh, they didn't count GMC as like not a school in need, but anyway, it's one of those where I for like the first seven years, nothing like none of my payments counted whatsoever for uh, student uh, PLS SF, the personal student loan forgiveness program or whatever. They yeah. Call it, because I had to teach it like a public school. We'll see they're in the middle. So they didn't <laughs> count any of that time whatsoever. And I was just like, you got wow. to be kidding me. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too, because a lot of industries do offer some sort of like, uh, you know, we'll pay back your or help pay back your tuition or something like that. I was curious how that was with teaching. And I think you kind of answered that mostly in the public sector. They do a little bit. Uh, If you can elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, I I mean, I wish they would, because as much as these uh, even uh, education pays to match like your health care, I'd much rather have like when you're young like just give me the bottom ring healthcare and give me like 10 grand a year to put toward my student loan. Uh, Cause that's more needed at that point. Cause what's happening too is when you earn like so little at the beginning, then you take those student loans that takes into like, you only got to pay 10% of what you're making or whatnot. So mm-hmm. therefore you're paying so little, you're basically just paying interest, no principal whatsoever. So then you look like 10 years down the road, you're like, it's still the same. Well, some people, I think, I think there's some sort of loan forgiveness program where if you can't pay it, but you paid the minimum for like 30 years, they just yeah. like forgive it completely. And I think some people have done the calculations on that, and they're like, you know what, I'll just do that. It's cheaper. Yeah, Which I mean, crazy. That's, yeah, that's basically it's risky, uh, but it's crazy. Well, because, that's the, well, that's what I'm gonna do. And then there's so yeah. many people in default now. I mean, they're gonna be getting to me when I'm about 65, 70 anyway. When all this goes down, so I'm, I'm really not worried about it. Uh, I, I think that's something they can definitely help, especially if you're in a field like education. That I, I think they should help. Obviously, if you have like a double, you know, degree in theater and uh, some other theology or something like that, then that's kind of on you. Like you don't need to take out 60 grand for something like that. You know what I mean? But if it's applicable, uh, yeah, they should have some programs because it's kind of ironic that if you think about it, you have this teacher who's teaching these kids, preparing them for college, and you're saying, hey, you need to go to college. And then they don't obviously ask this in high school, but if the students like asked in depth, they're like, okay, yeah, how's college been for you? I'm like, oh, well, I'm still paying off debts. Right. I tell my kids all the time (laughs) to do it all over again. They need to go to a tech school, go scot-free, get like three years out of the way, go to their dream school for the last year, you know, use up all their resources for connections to get a job and get on out. I mean, that, that's yeah. basically what they need to do. But see, we didn't know all this. Like when I was going mm. to school, it was just like you go to the biggest university you can go to, you sign these little papers. You know, the federal government at that time didn't know that they were going to take over all student loans. Remember when they were like, stop the banks from doing student loans? They took over student loans. So I I think we didn't know what to do. I mean, students now just have an easier pathway than what we had. I mean, I still think it's ridiculous. I have a friend that 
his wife is a pharmacist. She owes like $250,000 and, you know, it's easier for them on their taxes to like say they're separated just so she can afford to pay back student loans. Mm-hmm. My brother and his, his wife are in the same situation. They're both pharmacists. Yeah. And they both have tons of loans, but yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And then you start seeing how many people are defaulting on them or just don't pay anything. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. There's yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of people doing that 30-year plan that we were just talking about. It's like, I'll pay the minimum and then... Yeah, the what, what is the minimum? Just like 50 bucks? I mean, what is it? Yeah, it's pretty low. It probably doesn't even cover the uh, the interest, at least at first. Yeah, I mean... If I had to guess. But yeah, um, I think and I hope... Um, and part of what I want to get out with this podcast is that I think in past generations... We had set in the mind of people that, you know, college is, that's how you follow your passion. You get the career of your dreams. You go and do this, blah, blah, blah. But really and truly, and I'm hoping people in my generation are seeing it differently, that college is really an investment. That's what it is, pure and simple. You're investing in yourself rather than in stocks. And you need to think about what you're going to get in return. You know, why spend $40,000 at, you know, the biggest school in Georgia, like UGA, when you can do your first two years at, community school for a fourth of that price and then that's all core classes anyway so it doesn't matter transfer to your big school get the degree with their name on it for half price essentially um yeah. and and think about just, how easy it is to transfer into these schools like you know all our kids are heartbroken they don't get into uga wait a year transfer yeah. in the the standards are so low for that yeah and another big cost that people don't see I would say the biggest cost outside of uh, maybe tuition for you know people depending on your situation. Like I had, I had Zell Miller scholarship, which in Georgia is really great. And it pays for your tuition completely. Um, it doesn't pay for fees, which ironically the state did not address this. They they have the Zell Miller scholarship and Hope scholarship. Those are all addressing tuition. And once they introduced those, the Georgia schools started jacking up their fee costs. So I think you have to put some kind of control in there, or else they're just gonna. They already know what people are willing to pay. If the government says, hey, I'll pay for this, they're going to jack up something else that the person has to pay for. Right. So, Think about how ridiculous it is taking like an online class and you're paying like an athletic fee mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. It's like five, six hundred dollars. And you're just like, what, tell me about the, what, the weights I'm lifting right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you, even if uh, you're paying for tuition yourself, the one of the other largest cost is just housing. So if you can do it and live with your parents while you're doing the first two years, you should do that. I mean, it's an investment. So yeah, but your parents, might be, your parents might charge you rent. Like my parents said, if I wasn't going to college and I wanted to live at home, they'd be charging me rent. So well, I mean, makes I sense. Shed all my college money back and put it in the stock market, growing at eight percent a year. I mean, Jesus Lord. Yeah. So I I hope people are realizing that, and I hope you know if they're not, hopefully listening to the podcast, they're thinking about that. That it's really an investment. They need to just do it. The cheapest way, because ultimately you get a piece of paper that says, you know, this, this and this, whether that's true or not. <laughs> and people are hiring you on that piece of paper. So right. it doesn't really matter how much the paper costs. You have the paper. Correct. And it's not so, going to get you any further than like an entry point to a corporation or a business. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like you're like going to be like, oh, I'm going to interview for CEO next week. Yeah, so um, I'd also like to touch on, have you ever been a part of any hiring boards for teachers? Is that is that a thing in, in the industry? Yeah, so uh, when we bring on like another teacher in your department, 
sometimes they'll ask uh, teachers in that apartment sit on like the hiring board. And I've done that before. So when they come in and interview, you just like talk about their background because everybody fluffs up their resume, right? And I'll never forget this one. So this person came in, had on like, they did drones, they did all this stuff. I mean, if you saw it, Cody, you'd be like, dang, I was even intimidated. I was like, oh my gosh, this person's like, what are they doing here? And uh, you start asking questions and you're like, okay, well, what program are you running? No clue, right? And come to find out it was the person went to like a uh, conference or a thing at the local, let's say college that was running it. And they just gave them a little piece of paper at the end, but they couldn't remember anything they've done at all. I was like, oh, where are you program it with? Da, 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 da. Are you using, you know, Audrino block or anything like that? Make block, what are you, you know what I mean? No, didn't know any of the lingo. And I think that's why they ask you to come and sit on because our principal or assistant principal wouldn't have a clue to ask any of that stuff, right? So after she left, I was like, no way, no way. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you if you have any advice to people who are, who are trying to get jobs or whatever, since you've been on a hiring board, what's your advice for, for the meetings or the resumes or whatnot? Uh, I would say right away to have, other than just school, um, what do you do in the summertime? Like when have else have you interacted with kids? I would actually bring in some curriculum that you've done. Like I always bring up, I have a, another website with all the projects I've done and my Twitter feed. So that's way more powerful because think about it in an interview, instead of being nervous and the narrative not being is directed at you. If you have something like that, I control the narrative. I'm like, Oh, well, that's great. I have some curriculum. I want to show you. Here's my Twitter feed. And then you're not nervous because you've done all that stuff and you're controlling the direction of the questions and all that. Right. The other thing I would do is be upfront with what you want. Right. I mean, no matter where you are in your career, let's say you do want to coach something or you do want to teach AP. I mean, you have to let them know then because it's your one chance. That is your one chance to let them know without any other distractions what you want um, as a teacher. Like even if you're mid-career right now, don't sit there and be like, oh, I love this school. This is great. I can't wait to start. Like let them know what you want. And that was always my biggest fault is because I just perceived that I was just like oozing this, you know, what I want. And people were just going to uh, be able to like smell it and be like, Ooh, we're going to get play this, but you have to like tell them this, right. We have to be direct. And um, I've gotten better with that in my old age, but I waited way too late to do that. And just out of curiosity, when you were interviewing for GMC, did you want to be chemistry and physics teacher or were you shooting for biology? No, I just wanted a job. Uh, <laughs> originally, long story short, uh, remember they had chemistry, physics, and biology open. So I interviewed for the biology job. They were like, man, we had this great teacher we have to hire, which ended up being Libby Blair. Okay. Major Blair. And then I, uh, I liked her. Yeah. So they, they hired her and then uh, they called me and it's like, listen, would you get certified in chemistry and physics? You know, you still have that in your background. I said, absolutely. I will. Uh, I met Colonel Thornton in the back of a parking lot. I signed my contract <laughs> and the rest is history. Right. Yeah. And uh, one thing I would say is, and you know, I haven't been in that many interviews to be honest, but I feel like people are nervous to ask questions in interviews but you're also there to find out about the job. So you should be asking questions like, 
when you're going over your projects that you've done, your curriculum, you could be like, oh, yeah, what's your curriculum like? How can I incorporate this in, in here? Yeah, I think that'd be good. Like North Oconee, they had nothing. Like my first year, I knew I was barely going to have a room, no equipment, but, and that was bad. And I was like, man, y'all just don't have anything. Like, what's my budget? What is it going to be? And they were like, year two, we're going to have the $100,000 grant for CTAE. I was like, okay. Uh, and that was a big selling point. But you're right. I mean, but you got to think, Cody, these people, like your first interview, you have no clue what to ask about a school. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. What, what kind of duties am I going to have? Do I, do I have afternoon car line, morning cafeteria? Am I going to have lunch duty? When is that? You just don't know. I mean, it's, could you imagine interviewing a, a corporate office? They're like, hey, Cody, I'm going to need you to run the uh, gate every Friday until five o'clock till you're the last, you know, everybody gets out of the parking lot. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what teachers do. And you're being trusted with people's lives. And that's um, funny because in corporations, like if you're if you're going to work at some firm or something, and they like said, "Oh, by the way, we're gonna throw this in there too." Like on Fridays, you have to do this. Everybody'd be like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like I need you to get coffee every Thursday for everyone, and here's the list, right? I mean, that's essentially what we're doing. Uh, this is kind of like a question to round out everything. Do you have any last minute advice or cautions to people entering the field, or anything you just want to get off your chest about it? Yeah. So as we come to a close, I mean make sure you love it. Like I tell Cody was in my class. He probably doesn't remember the, everything's really crazy, but you know, you, I really believe you have to like and do what you love. Right. And if every day you can't get up and love it, then change. Um, in education, you become really bitter really quickly. And you, if you have enough days where you feel that way, then it shows and you feel trapped and it just gets worse and worse. So if you're not getting into education because you love it, then you don't need to be in it. The second thing with that is if you feel like you need to get out, then get out. Don't stick around and through attrition become, you know, an administrator or something like that and not still value what the people under you do every single day. And I think that's extremely important for all the administration and leaders that we have in education that we see every single day. I don't know what my time is. Uh, you know, I'm in year 12 or 13. I don't know if I have 30 years in me, but you know, I'm going to try. Luckily for me, I've been able to move schools and, uh, teach now engineering. And it's kind of like gave me new life to keep plugging away. But see, I'm going to need that like every five or so years type of person I am. So I don't know. I think that kind of rounds me out, but I do think it's valid. I wish people connected more with the students. Teaching is the most humanistic thing you can do. It's about connecting every single day. Uh, And I think some people are better at it than others, unfortunately. I may have to have you on another podcast episode because I I think uh, once these things get going and once I do enough episodes, I'll probably do some bonus episodes. And I think I'd really like to do one where I sit down with a couple of people I've interviewed in the past I think you would be a good one because I think you're going to be a fan favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I good. Think... Well, I mean, Cody, you do know I am a half entertainer, half educator is what they call it. My parents still believe I'm going to be a politician. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> going to be my higher calling at some point. Yeah, so I think I'm going to have to have you on and I, I may have to try and get some professors on because I do want to talk about kind of uh, the college as an industry and uh, the issues that they face because I think the issues they face are probably more prominent than the issues that even our high schools are seeing. 
I think there's a lot of restructuring that could go on with college. And I think, uh, I think the audience would like hearing about that. And I would just like asking questions and doing that. So I may have to get you on with a small panel of people and discuss, uh, college as an industry. Yeah. Anytime, man. I've enjoyed it. This is fun. All right. I'll let her rip. Well, thank you for, uh, listening and watching job fair podcast. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please email kwcpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to follow me at my Twitter handle is N-O-H-S engineering at clay underscore McElhenney.com. I know this a lot, but you can find me.